0: This is the World Teacher Podcast. I'm truly honored to have gotten the opportunity to speak to my guest in today's episode. She's a true living hero, easily one of the most incredible humans I've ever had the great fortune to meet. She was a nurse originally, which itself is amazing enough. I think we should all be able to agree by now that all nurses are heroes. But she switched paths and grew to become a person who has had a major and very positive impact on marginalized communities in Canada and in the lives of many thousands of young people. Her name is Carolyn Acker. She's a member of the Order of Canada, a rare distinction that recognizes outstanding achievement, dedication to the community, and service of the nation. I love the blurb about her on the website, so I'm just going to quote from it. It reads, It reads, Carolyn Acker has worked tirelessly to break the cycle of poverty in Canada. A nurse by profession, she championed social programs for disadvantaged and homeless individuals as the former executive director of the Regent Park Community Health Centre. She's also the founder of Pathways to Education, a program that provides financial assistance, tutoring, advocacy, and mentorship to youth living in poverty. Her groundbreaking work has resulted in decreased dropout rates, increased post-secondary studies, and the replication of the program across the country. Carolyn's Truly a great person and a phenomenal role model for young people, or old people for that matter. She was also on the Freakonomics podcast years ago, which I really do recommend you check out, both the episode and the podcast. The focus of this episode on this podcast is one of the many great things Carolyn has done, the major social innovation her leadership gave rise to, the Pathways to Education program. This is a program that is truly dear to my heart. You see, I discovered that I'm a teacher during my very first night volunteering at Pathways to Education in Toronto. I helped out tutoring there once a week for three hours for three years, alongside dozens of staff and other volunteers who put in much more time than I did. I gained so much from that experience that I truly cherish and indeed still rely on to this day, especially about how to connect and understand students as humans, as individual people. The thing that I think I learned that matters the most, though, is just simply how effective the Pathways to Education model really is in supporting classed and racialized youth, especially to get through high school. It's a program that really does work. The data shows starkly increased rates of attendance, academic achievement, and graduation. It truly helps break the cycle of poverty. The social return on investment is $24 to Canadian society for every dollar invested in the program. Pathways to Education is a program that started near where I grew up and is now spread across Canada. I hope it spreads a lot further. It really should. It's a superb example of a small group of people coming together to affect transformative social change in a community. It's also a stunning example of what can happen when you think about kids as humans with basic human needs and you design systems to meet those needs. Last thing before we get started, I'd really like to encourage people who can to consider donating to Pathways at pathwaystoeducation.ca. Here's me talking to Carolyn Acker about why. So Carolyn, I really want to thank you for coming on. And... I really feel like I need to start um, the conversation with you with a thank you. Uh, you're somebody who has changed lots of people's lives, including mine. I started as a teacher in Pathways in 2003, um, and I remember my very first day. It was, it was like September, October. It was cold, and we were in a basement church in Regent Park, uh, a community yeah. I had been afraid of as a child. Um, and I got up the courage. I'm going to go into Regent Park and I want to like, want to do this. Cause I was trying to like figure out what to do with my life at the time. And I didn't really know. And so I was volunteering in a whole bunch of places. I thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't really know. Like, what am I good at? Kind of thing. So I was like, okay, I'll try this. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I went and the very first day, um, I had this, so I was a tutor and I went mm-hmm. to help people. And the per- first person who showed up was this little girl from Bangladesh, and she had just recently arrived a few months ago. She had rapidly mm-hmm. learned English, and we just started by talking, and she shared the story of her experiencing snow for the first time. And we yeah. really connected, and it's just like this, it was just like a really wonderful experience, and I helped her with her homework. It was like English or something like that. And then I left the building that night high out of my mind. I, I'd never felt better in my life, because I knew exactly what to do with my future at that point. Like it was perfect certainty. Um, And like, I feel it right now. I actually feel that kind of energy going through me. And it was such an amazing feeling. And, and that was step one of a very amazing journey I've had as an educator. And I'm really, really grateful to you personally for that. So thank thank you.
1: Thank you. Well, uh, you know, I was the, uh, I started, I'm a nurse. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm a nurse. My background is not education. It's nursing. Mm-hmm. But, um, when I went to become the executive director of the region park community health center, which is situated in, in the oldest and largest public housing project in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, um, there, there was some violence, but what happened over the years is it just increased. So one murder, one in the first year, the second year, maybe two murders. By, by, I, and I went there in 1992. Um, we, we were a $2.2 million organization in 1992. And I created a transformation so that it would be run by the community, with community members on the board and community members hired, and that, that that we took all the people who lived in our catchment area. We, we weren't going to send anybody elsewhere, and we managed, you know, mission, vision, values, et cetera. And then by about 1995, we had really grown from 2.2 to about six million. Mm-hmm. Now we had all kinds of health promoters uh, working in the community. Uh, we had community gardens. We had an early years program where we worked with women when they were pregnant up to the baby age six so that we could have. Our goal was that the child would grow up with the same IQ as a child out of a more privileged home. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing infant stimulation, teaching parents, good parenting skills. We started a preschool. A lot of the kids were immigrants. So we brought them in five. We'd hire a a work and teach them the colors and the numbers. You see, this was a research project that was being done at parents for better beginnings was being done by the provincial government. Mm -hmm. So we were getting data back to know the effect of our work and when they, the IQ, they, they weren't doing so well, so we implemented, okay, we'll teach them the colors, we'll teach them the numbers, because they're not getting that at home. So, and and everything started to improve. It was brilliant to be able to implement and get feedback.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, this was going very well. We had really grown. But instead of the community getting better, the community was getting worse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There were more murders. Um. In 2001 we started the program. In 2000, I think there were eight murders in that community. Mm-hmm. Um and it got to the point where staff were being frightened about going into work. Sure. Anyway, I was really struggling because I said the most powerful determinants of health are income and education. Mm-hmm. Here I am with all these doctors and nurses and health promoters and early childhood. So, how am I going to affect the um, the determinants of health, education? Um, and we didn't know why there was so much violence. Mm-hmm. So it's you see, it's not good to increase your investment in a community from two million to six million and see things get worse in the oh, community geez. rather than better. Yeah. And. I, I said we are a band-aid on a powder keg. Here.
0: Hmm.
1: We're a band-aid on a powder keg. And when I saw that my staff by 2000 with all those murders, we were getting afraid to go to work.
0: Yeah.
1: And yet you're a certain type of person when you go to work. You said you were afraid. You you work in there because you're not afraid, yeah. right? Um but you you can get frightened with the violence. Anyway, we knew the community was in such terrible shape. And what happened to us is we created a vision in, um, I think it was about 1997 or 98. We, I had a huge retreat. I had residents, the board, residents on the board. I had all the board, all the staff and community members together. And we spent a couple days together and we created the vision called Community Succession. And, of course, nobody knew what that meant. So I said, okay, the young people growing up in the community will be the future doctors, nurses, social worker, executive director, director of finance, you name it. They will take over instead of us driving in to work here. Okay, well, when we took the flip charts, everyone had gone home. I started to cry because I'm over-responsible. And I said, how am I going to make that happen? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I didn't give up. Eh? Yeah, you got yourself into a big hole there.
1: Jeez. I really did. I cried. I said to the facilitator, I don't know. I don't know. How am I going to make this? Anyway, so this is when you become this social entrepreneur. So what we did was we took the vision. I scrounged up some money and we took that vision. We did about 13 focus groups in the community hmm. in 13 different languages. Wow. <laughs> sure yeah that's awesome though yeah (laughs) and they loved we took the vision to them to get their feedback and the the community loved the vision but they told us you have to focus on education and employment if you want this to happen okay so we had to listen now what's really hard is not doing what you think but listening to what people tell you so we did we did focus on education and employment, we wrote a proposal. Those of us in the organization with our ideas. It took me about three years to get it funded. Thank God for the Trillium Foundation and the um, the Counseling Foundation of Canada, mm-hmm. because they, after three years, I say they tortured me for three years. They were doing their due diligence. <laughs> They're going to hand me money? Okay, so you know they interviewed the board. They made spot checks. They wanted to know, did we deliver? We had a reputation for delivering. So eventually, they said, let's give this a try and give this organization the funds and see what they can do. Well, first of all, we didn't implement the proposal that we wrote because those were our ideas. What we did was we went back into the community to do action research, awesome. which is... Collecting the, you know, you're a teacher. Okay, so we did focus groups with the youth, focus groups with the teachers, focus groups with agency workers, focus groups with the parents. And we brought in the people who we say they were successful. They grew up here, yet they got a master's or Mm -hmm. they're working at Parks and Recreation. Yeah, very
0: interesting, yeah
1: they do it and you know I was in that focus group and I went because I wanted to hear for sure what these kids I went to as many as I could I couldn't do them all but this was profound because what I learned there every one of those people who had made it somebody took them under their wing Hmm. most often it was a school teacher who recognized this young person's can go places. This young person's smart, as they all are, just as smart as you and
0: I. Absolutely.
1: They're poor. That's the only difference. Mm -hmm. And then they would be kind of taken under the wing and that that, that teacher would guide them. Maybe give them a little bit of money they needed to pay for something at school that Mm -hmm. they didn't have. Teach them how to write a thank you note. One of the women said that. She became a social worker. She got her master's and she talked about the teacher teaching her how you write a thank you Mm. note
0: to someone. So it was really like the relationships and like the mentoring.
1: Yeah, it went so far as personal hygiene because Mm. some kids have a mother who's schizophrenic. And now, you know, and okay. So, wow. Anyway, we gathered all the data and what we found were the barriers, Mm. the obstacles to success. So you don't drive at the vision we want these kids to be doctors, nurses, social workers, you find out what are the obstacles and drive it, knocking those obstacles out. And that's how your vision comes alive. So we found out that the most important things we learned were the lowest income kids have the highest high school dropout rates. Norman, the researcher came to me and said, Norman Rowan, director of research and director of the program the man behind the thing on the ground they lacked academic support Mm -hmm. there was no aunt uncle mother anybody they could ask to help with science shakespeare anything. they had no social capital Mm. we needed to build up their social capital and we did that through mentoring we did group mentoring in grades 9 and 10 and then career and specialty mentoring in grade 11 and 12, to help them identify a career, pick the right courses. And I would then make connections. For example, I spoke to the CEO of St. Michael's Hospital, by the time we had the kids in grade 12, saying, I have kids who are interested in healthcare, can they work there in the summer? And, you know, he hired 40
0: kids. That's awesome.
1: And the staff at St. Mike's, Loved working with them.
0: It's awesome to work with kids. And kids are brilliant. And when you give kids a chance, they will do amazing things. But they need to know that they're believed in.
1: That's right. And that's what, that's what we were able to do. With people like you tutoring, we had all volunteer tutors, volunteer mentors. The other thing was they had no money. So it's a practical issue. They, we gave bus tickets based on attendance because we wanted to hold them accountable for their decisions. If they skipped school, they didn't get a bus ticket. But they had a student-parent support worker mm-hmm. who built a relationship and would say, "How come you skipped school the other day?" <laughs> let,
0: let, if you don't mind, let's walk the let's walk back a couple steps. It, could you please describe like the four main components of pathways and how they kind of like interact with each other and why that works?
1: Okay. Well, the 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 um, the supports. You know, from the United Way, I had a question early in the in the beginnings, and I was asked which one of the supports works the most. Mm. (laughs) Wrong question. Mm. Wrong question. But that's what people want to do. Which one of them is the the, has the most effect, and we'll give them that one because we can't afford all this. Right. No, it is not. It means they don't understand systems. Mm. One support. It's all the supports together taken as a whole. And, and the whole is different from the sum of the
0: parts. Absolutely.
1: And you can't break down the tutor, what happens in tutoring and add it to what happened. No, because when you bring it all together, a bus ticket, accountability, measurement of your attendance and credit accumulation, people supporting you with homework. No, it would be like me asking a parent which one of the supports you gave your adolescent through high school helped them the most was it the tutoring you bought yeah. for them was it the good nutritious food you gave them was it the um, fees and the, the you know all the tutoring and whatever <laughs> so it's it's a systemic approach
0: mm. Right. Where you're really, yeah. you're surrounding a given kid with all these different community-based supports, right? So they have academic tutoring, they have mentoring where they spend time with adults who aren't judging them and just like giving them a relationship. You have student parent support workers, social workers in the school to advocate for and support that kid. And then you have financial supports, right? Incentives right. through like bus passes and whatnot. And it really That's takes the- all of these. And the scholarship because okay. they don't Hope that they can go on. Yeah. So by giving
1: them a scholarship, you give them a hand up. Do you know when you apply to university, it costs money just to make the application. Oh, I know. <laughs> and they don't have that hundred and fifty dollars yeah. to go and apply to five universities. So that's where we stepped in. Hmm. It's like we had to unpack our privileges, our white knapsack yeah. of privileges. People don't even think that the low-income kids cannot get on the computer and apply to five universities because they don't have the money to do that. I think um, we make all
0: sorts of ridiculous assumptions that we wouldn't make if we did what you guys did, which is listen to people. And so like it sounds like without like maybe using the term you guys engaged in design thinking like you're really it's human centered design, right? Like, who are the people that we're trying to serve? Who, What are their needs and interests, their articulated and unarticulated needs and interests and how do we best meet those?
1: And I'm a little bit older than you, but you're absolutely right. We never called it design, but it's design called that now. Mm. From my theory, it was action research. It goes back to Kurt Lewin. It goes back to the driving and restraining forces and how you make large systemic change. Mm. And large systemic change means you have to work with government, corporations,
0: and the people you have to be and- pragmatic it sounds so you're very interesting like you're an, uh, like an actual change maker not like an ideologue right so like you went you're like a nurse for somehow ended up in region park and then like how do i actually do this so you, you can't just be like oh socialism or whatever you figure it out like with the people on the ground in real world ways driven by values and that is how we change the world
1: Values are at the base, the foundation, either you believe in the kids or you don't. Right. And if you
0: think that, but some people don't, agree, don't believe in those kids. And they shouldn't have I, anything to do with them. I had,
1: I had, no, they don't know them. When I was fundraising, I had a, 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 you know, I was on Bay Street doing a lot of fundraising. And I remember this one man said, ah, they're all losers. They'll never make it. This isn't going to work. And you know, five years later, I went back and did a pitch, and he was in the room. And you know what he said? I said, "You said that they wouldn't make it, and look at," and he said, "Oh, it's because they're all immigrants." Now, what do you do with people like that? You know. Um, but the the research that we did that was crucial here. You gotta understand this. We didn't know the dropout rate we had. We only knew the average dropout rate.
0: Like for the city? The city average was 25 or 28 or something. Okay. And you wanted to know, like, the Region Park community dropout I wanted out. to know these census tracts right here Moss Park,
1: Region Park, our catchment area, those postal codes. So, Norman, our researcher, worked with the um, school board, Sean School Board, and together they did, they, the school board looked back six years using the postal codes. And Norman came to tell me, he said to me, do you know what the dropout rate here is? 56%. And 20% of the few that that graduate are going on to post-secondary. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, it's terrible.
1: I said, now I know why they're shooting each other. They don't have any hope for the future. So, you know, we, we, we you have to take all the ideas out of your head and you have to listen to the people. You have to truly believe in community development. Action research is all embedded in that. It's all about gathering data from the people affected by the issues. Mm-hmm. They know what the issues are and they know what the solutions are. What they lack is a process that allows them to identify the issues. But that's our job and how to amass the resources to implement their ideas, mm-hmm. which is what we did with pathways but that dropout rate was the first indicator for me that oh god that's what's happening because there was uh, despair and desperation and hopelessness yeah and you know the kids in the first year pathways as they some of them did very well and most of them all of them but one of them told me that you know well two of them uh, they start to go in the area of drugs because they need to bring money home to their parents and that's where the money and the drug dealers take the young kids and they they you know say you sit here yeah and they hook them because they give them money to deliver that bag over there or sit here and watch and tell me if the cops are coming and i'll give you a a toonie and then they see them with the cars and and and
0: but this, and that's the role model, right? You feel validated by that person. You feel like known and and like y- you encouraged by like that guy. That's not the person you want kids turning to.
1: No. So you see what happened? He, he said to me, "Well, you know, I saw these kids going in the health center at night in the church basement, and I wanted to know what the hell was going on. What are they doing?" He said. So I went in and I got hooked. Hmm. <laughs> He got his master's degree. He, he's a social worker helping uh, the community in Regent right now. He's just incredible, and this is the story of the majority of them.
0: It's beautiful. the 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 success that Pathways has had has been an enormous. It's been absolutely phenomenal. So, like the the graduation rates in um, in Regent went from something like fifty six percent to eighty five percent. Was it? Yeah. That that's an absolutely Those, amazing success.
1: No, the dropout rate was 56%. So we, okay, yes. You can flip it the other way and say the graduation rate, but you'd subtract that. You
0: dropped it to 15.
1: Yes, we did. That's amazing, yeah. That's amazing.
0: That's huge. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so I think Pathways is an amazing program, but I think there's a lot that can be learned from pathways oh. and from you as a, as a community developer and as a human developer uh with respect to trying to make the world a better place in the context of fighting racism for instance Um, with respect to schooling, I think I know, uh, programs like pathways can make a big difference. And I think also in the context of COVID, well, uh, schools are really going to struggle. And I think community based programs are really going to need to step in and play a role. I think it's really important. And if we don't as educators understand like the utter cruciality of the uh, surrounding a kid with like a lot of different supports, we're not really going to be able to meet the needs of those who need like the most help,
1: that's right. That's exactly correct. The, 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 what did we do? We leveled the playing field. What did we do? That's what we did. Justice, We yeah.
0: leveled the playing field, which is a beautiful it, thing.
1: We focused on the lowest income kids and and the, and um and we measured we had leading and lagging indicators because we had to prove that we were making a difference. You know, we were given a fair bit of money. And so there's a tremendous amount of accountability that goes with dealing with with money, taxpayers' money, donations, that kind of thing. And then I had kids who were getting shot, dying. So we had to get this thing going. And you know, before it got off the ground, that first year of planning, I had the funders screaming at me, where's your program, where's your program? I had the kids needing help. And, uh, you know, when you're a social entrepreneur, you don't know what you're creating. Mm. Okay. Because you can't think of it ahead of time. You create it as you go. Right. And you have to. That's correct. It's something new. So we said they need the help. You can't blame the teachers that low-income kids have the highest dropout rate. Community come in at 3.30 and help. Right. Mm. So. First of all, they wanted to go home and have their dinner first, and so we said, "Okay, come at 5, 5:30, whatever." We had the tutoring, the mentoring. The parents would come and peek. They'd see their kids sitting at a table doing work, and they loved it. Yeah. That you know, the, a lot of immigrant parents didn't know where they're going. They're going in that church, and they and then when they'd see, when they talk to us, or if the parent would phone and say, "You know, you didn't give my Johnny 10 bus tickets." well, you know what? Johnny skipped school last week. Mm-hmm. She would say, oh, he did, did he? So it was that takes a village thing. Yeah.
0: So you're, you're bringing people together and you're having conversations and working with people rather than like, oh, here's, so there's accountability, but it's not necessarily punitive. It's it's geared towards helping the child grow, right?
1: Accountability is not punitive. Mm-hmm. Accountability, see, this is what bothers me is when the kids pass when they don't pass. Accountability is that I have to take responsibility for my actions yeah. and decisions. And that's all we want to teach them, because in life that's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. So we told you in the beginning, if you skip school, so then they stopped skipping school. Yeah. Or, or the first the first two weeks of bus tickets, they said, we get we got it and we bought cigarettes. We sold them and bought cigarettes, <laughs> but we couldn't get to school. <laughs> so then they realized I can't do this.
0: And they learn and they figure it out. So like you're setting up an incentive structure that makes it more likely that the kid is going to buy into the system.
1: Right. And then there's all, it's surrounded with support. It's not, why didn't you go to school? It's what's going on? What happened? Because the student pair support workers are from all the different cultural backgrounds and they're similar age. They're they're older. They're university grads.
0: Yeah. But there's not a huge difference.
1: Yeah. They're young people helping... Uh, other young people
0: going back to school during the covid crisis whatever that looks like will pose serious challenges for students families and educators alike we're going to need to learn to work together like never before we must come together as communities truly listen to each other with open minds and hearts experiment with new ideas and arrangements and problem solve like only humans can I want you to know that the possibilities are endless when it comes to educating kids and that better ways of doing school are already out there. They are already happening. The world is full of amazing, innovative schools where creativity and critical thinking are unleashed. Students devour learning activities and kids grow to become strong, healthy, productive, self-directed, and socially conscious citizens. These schools are out there. The education revolution is now, and I'm going to show you them. That's why I'm happy mind-blown, really, to announce my new series on Netflix debuting September 1st in North America, Growing Cool Schools. I'll be traveling the globe, doing my thing, but going to all sorts of places I've never been, showing you how innovative educators in the world's coolest schools are changing the world. I'll be visiting some of the toughest schools, too. So joining me will be Raphael Rowe, host of the Netflix series Inside the World's Toughest Prisons. He spent 12 years in jail for a crime he didn't commit, and he visits the most dangerous lockups on Earth. And now he's ready to join me, to keep me safe, really, in his toughest assignment to date, when we visit America's public schools. Please check it out on Netflix September 1st in North America, around the world soon to follow Growing Cool Schools with Gareth Manning and Raphael Rowe. Okay, so obviously I don't have a Netflix show. But I do think that would be a great show. Minus the joke about American schools, of which there are, of course, probably thousands of great ones. Yet it's also true, as we all know, that American schools can be incredibly unsafe. March 2020 was, by the way, the first month in two decades that the United States has not seen a school shooting. Just go to the Wikipedia page for school shootings in the U.S. and your fingers will cramp from scrolling. The situation is pure evil. But getting back, I do think a show like the one I made up is really badly needed. Honestly, I think it would probably help us to affect change. People need to know it's possible to do things differently. Thomas Kuhn taught us in the structure of scientific revolutions that major societal changes often occur not because of the accumulation of knowledge, but because new ideas emerge that fundamentally challenge old paradigms, old ways of doing things. And in so doing, they interrupt the dominance of unchecked ideologies, create space for new, even more challenging ideas to emerge, and eventually, a whole new order, a new paradigm, a new way of understanding ourselves and the world can be ushered in. We once believed the sun revolves around the earth. But it wasn't the inadequacies with the extant theories alone with geocentrism that led to a needed revision of our model of the universe. It was the development of an alternative paradigm, the birth of a totally different perspective, that gave rise to what we now call the Copernican Revolution. So it is with schools. We won't see a revolution happen unless and until people see that alternative options exist and that better paradigms lay in the waiting. And I do mean see them. Everyone has a conception of what school is, looks like, consists of, and is supposed to do. Most of us went through it. And it's precisely because of this, I think, that most people are profoundly unimaginative when it comes to thinking about how we might do schooling better. It's my strong belief that people need to literally see great learning happening in great schools to know that it's possible. And trust me, when they do, people will be amazed by what kids are capable of once you unleash their natural creativity and get them to believe in the genius within. I see it with my own eyes all the time. So I do legit think we need a really cool show about the education revolution happening now. It would need a better name and it doesn't have it doesn't really matter who funds it, it doesn't have to be Netflix. But given the laughable garbage that comes up on Netflix, if you ever search for either education or school. Combined with the reality that basically everyone is interested in education and the fact that kids are hilarious and total comedy gold, it seems like a pretty good idea to me. But for now, let me just recommend that everyone on Earth watch Inside the World's Toughest Prisons, especially the episodes on Germany and Norway, which show vastly, vastly better approaches to criminality and rehabilitation, to imprisonment. To how, to how we deal with crime as a society. These are super important topics that we intend to spend a lot of time on the podcast examining. And of course, by the way, if you haven't watched it already, watch the 13th on Netflix. It's about the US president industrial complex. It's essential viewing if you care about black people at all. Also, please subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for multiple upcoming episodes on a totally alternative paradigm to our disastrous criminal justice system called restorative justice. Lots to stay on that. Stay tuned. <music> And that makes, I think that's really important. I think kids really need uh, role models around them. I think they need mentors and they need those who are genuinely interested in their growth as a human being without judgment and with love. And when a kid has that, it's amazing what kids can become. It truly, truly is. Um, But I I think this program is so important. It's not just an anti-poverty program. It's an anti-racism program because race and class are inextricably interlocked. And these kids are uh, largely from like a lot of them are refugees, a lot of them are like recent immigrants. And I would say an overwhelming majority are, are racialized kids. And I remember speaking with a lot of black kids in at the program and it, like I, I took an approach where like I'd really wanna to get to know the kid first before trying to like get them to do their homework because that's vastly more effective than trying to be like this authoritarian. And then you would listen to their stories and like these kids would get thrown on police cars every morning for being black and having baggy pants. And that's terrible. And Pathways wasn't a program that could necessarily deal with that per se, but what it did give them is somebody in school to go to after that happened to talk to about it, and somebody after school to talk to about it, where they're like, yes, this is terrible, and this is awful, and you you don't deserve this. Um, And then we can talk about like problems in the world and whatever, and what we might do about that. having those kind of supports for black kids in black boys in particular who like in toronto schools are massively massively oppressed like the data are tremendously bad um in terms of dropout rates in terms of exclusion through uh disciplinary measures and so on programs like pathways actually solve that problem mm-hmm. that's all awesome.
1: yeah you see there's a couple points i want to make pathways was not there to change the teachers, the schools, or the parents? What we did was we helped mediate the space in between. If there was a relationship issue with the parent, then we would help the student and the parent sort that out. Mm-hmm. If you if, if, um, had a teacher who told a boy, um, he, he, he asked the teacher in high school, he said, you know, I want to get a better mark. I, I, I'm worried about my future. I didn't do well in this French." And uh, the teacher said, future? What future? you got no future. Oh, boy. So the kid figured he didn't have a future. Well, you know what? The teacher must have been in a horrible mood. Something must yeah. have happened. Well, so the student parent support worker finally hears it from the student and says, okay. So then they go and talk to the teacher about this. Well, that teacher became that boy's biggest champion, really? although the boy never trusted the teacher. Uh, yeah, because he felt bad. He didn't mean to do that. Yeah. You know, I don't think he intended I don't we're know how humans, this-
0: we're so flawed. We we do stupid things all the time. We did not have enough sugar today. And then we, we say things that like hurt a kid and that could stick with them forever. So like we I- really need ways to repair harm.
1: So that's where we came in. It's the space in between, the space, the relationship yeah. between the teacher and the student, <laughs> the relationship between the parent and the and the son or daughter. And we were helpful in helping them. Um, no, there's an issue. One boy wanted to be wanted to go to business school. Mm-hmm. Okay. His father. They were Bangladeshi, I think. His father wanted him to become a car mechanic because he said, you will always have a job Mm. if you become a car mechanic. And um, what happened to that young man is he got a summer job selling gas and oil (laughs) and he found out he could sell things. Mm. And he liked the idea of business. And so we called the parents in and the boy and we had a meeting. And we helped the father understand that maybe this would be a better route right now for him. And he came around, and that boy went to Ryerson Business School. Awesome. And I don't know what he's doing now, but I'm sure he's doing something big because he figured he found he learned he could sell. Yeah. We can't all sell
0: any, you know, sure. those, those are skills. And, 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 but it's a person-centered approach. So like you're starting with like the the kid as an authentic whole human being and trying to help them self-discover. And once and giving them opportunities to do this, this is how we like learn who and what we are and how we can become our best selves. But yeah, a lot of kids have parents who don't let them do that. And like you're you're an accountant because that's safe and we're afraid. Kind of thing, yeah. and like so, to have an advocate uh, or a set of advocates for a kid with the parents, like that's a beautiful thing. I think that's a structure that schools really, really need, and and most kids don't actually benefit from because they don't exist in most places.
1: Right, and and when you deal with only the symptom, like the police attack arrest a boy with black and baggy pants, that's not the issue. The issue is way bigger than that, and it's on the top. Yeah. And let's get at what this is really all about. And let's help these kids get educated. Let's give them a hand up because they're the same as me and you. Let's level the playing field. Let's boost them. You know, I went to a a conference. uh, It was university people worrying about why they couldn't get the low-income kids in and they wanted to get the low-income kids in. And I listened the whole day (laughs) And the image that came to my mind, I said, you know what? You guys are sitting in a boat. And you're trying to bring these kids from the down in the water into the boat. And you're reaching down, down, down to pull them up. And you're going to tip the boat over and you're not going to. Hmm. Pathway dives in the water, goes underneath and boosts them right into the boat. They're the ones that are doing the work, not me. All I did was help them with a tutor. When they told me they couldn't do math, I found somebody who could help them. I believed in them. This is, this is what it's all about. They never had anybody, you know, I only had one teacher in my whole life who said I was smart. My grade five teacher. That's it.
0: I I think so many of us have absolutely terrible experiences in school and with teachers. And I can recall way more bad teachers than I can good teachers.
1: uh, Me too. And I got the strap because I was one of, I guess I, yeah, I, you know, in grade grade three, they, 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 they really got me. Uh, Mm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it was done back then. And then you'd get it a second time when you went home if they told your parents, right? Because <laughs> the teacher was always right back then. Yeah. Now they tell me, and the parents attacked the teachers. Our parents always supported the teachers. But, you know, the teachers have a big, tough job. We all have a big, tough job. And when we work together... See the teachers like the Pathways program because they they know somebody else is is helping them with that student.
0: Yeah, step. for sure.
1: And they shouldn't be blamed for the low income uh, uh, high school dropout. The kids that have the high high school dropout rates being the lowest income. It's it's uh, immigrants, Aboriginal, single parent. Like it's it's predictable. Yeah. And it's because they don't have a tutor, they don't have a mentor, they don't have an aunt or uncle who can help them with this or that. They don't have the and all we did was level the playing field and the volunteers that come in and do the tutoring and the mentoring they get changed too because oh, as
0: you say absolutely
1: you get more out of it than you you know you're giving <laughs> And, and you go, oh, this makes me feel good. Oh, I'm so in and you, and you. And the kids get to ask you all kinds of questions. Well, what did you do? What did you study? Why did you want to become a teacher? And that's how they learn exactly. because they don't have this opportunity. Yeah. Like other kids have that opportunity where they will go into their friends' home and speak to their friends' mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Well, our kids only saw poverty when they went next door, yeah. people who didn't speak English or new immigrants or refugees
0: yeah and people without like cultural and social capital to really know necessarily how to advance in canadian society as like a, a white privileged person it's hard like when i was in university just trying to get like a, a minimum wage jaw hundreds of applications like it's not easy to navigate oh. like a capitalist economy in a language you don't speak where like uh, all the advantages are in the hands of other people and you don't even know what they are right so like programs like pathways are absolutely invaluable so important but your point about like them benefiting the volunteers more than the students i think is a really good one and i would like to like really reinforce that for anyone who's listening who might be like an aspiring teacher the best way to start i would argue as a teacher is as a tutor because you have to focus you have to know that kid and it's all about trying to understand this kid as a person how do they look at the world how do they understand this problem what do they what do they know and what the, don't they know and you need to understand that person as a learner from their viewpoint in order to help them and that's the kind of mindset that teachers need to have but you don't get trained for, and the system definitely doesn't give rise to, because you can't do that necessarily with 30 kids. But learning the importance of a person-centered approach through tutoring, I think, absolutely changes the way you approach teaching and learning forever. And Mm -hmm. it's a very, very powerful thing. You'll become a better teacher through it.
1: Right. And the other thing I want to emphasize is measurement. Um, so we had the leading and the lagging indicators. Uh, the, the leading ones were uh, credit accumulation and absenteeism. Because, you know, by grade 10, if you the teachers can look at the credit accumulation and absenteeism and predict the dropouts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: By grade 10, you can do that. So we were on top of that. So if the absenteeism was increasing, we worked with them to find out why, how, what we could do. And the same with the credit accumulation. If they weren't getting all their credits, we, we could come in and help. And it's a systems program in that, as I said earlier, we didn't want to, we didn't set out to change teachers or change schools or change parents. We work on the, 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 the relationship between the student and the parent. So it's it's in that space. If you make your intervention in that space, you make a huge difference. When you target your intervention at the kid. No, you don't make the difference. You don't. Mm. It's not the same thing.
0: That's fascinating. And it's also it's, not obvious. So like, how did you come to that conclusion? Because I'm guessing like that probably wasn't articulated through people in focus groups. It probably came about through observation and, and analysis of evidence uh, over time. You
1: know, I'll tell you something. I did a master's program in um, large system change.
0: Okay. Cool. And
1: systems thinking was the most important thing we had to do. And yeah. you've got to take all that linear stuff out of your head because right. the world doesn't work that way. But, you know, you can't take this whole thing and break it into parts and understand the whole. It doesn't work. So I I became very interested in systems thinking and the systems approach where you make the intervention in the, in the space between yeah. the individuals. Um, it's like um, if you're, you see, you can see this with Trump. Um, the normal thing to do is when you you you, are, you work and when it's not going your way, you work harder and faster, you do the same thing. Now, what you have to do is when you're working and it's not working, stand back and do something totally different because you're not on it. Mm. And the reason we had a $6 million budget from 2 million and the kids were because we were dealing with symptoms and not the root cause. It took us to get to the root cause, which was the high school dropout rate, which was the kids don't have any support. So how the hell can they get through high school?
0: You are very, very smart. Oh, <laughs> thank it's you. So. so interesting. So how did you how did you then expand pathways like across Canada? It's in like what, like how many cities now?
1: We're in 20 cities That's now.
0: Awesome. How how did that go? How did that happen?
1: Well, um after we were successful, like you have to wait five years for the lagging indicators. I told you what the leading okay. ones; the lagging ones were graduation mm. and and acceptance into post secondary. Okay. No matter what kind of post secondary. Did you track pre-
0: after whether they graduated from post secondary or like like level of like I don't know completion or whatever?
1: We couldn't do that. They might be doing that now. We okay. didn't have the funds to go that far. Okay. Okay, but they did do a study. Yeah. Boston Consulting, the uh, Pathways Canada has the results of that study and it proves the increase in income that these kids are getting over what they would have gotten if they didn't make it. Sure. Um, and that, that in fact, we have a high incidence of success and that there's an alumni component now, like you have to wait a long time before mm. you get this alumni, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so those things. Are happening in Pathways Canada now. What happened is we were a program of Region Park, and um, the donors wanted to replicate. Great, because it was yeah. so successful. And the and the donors said, our chairman Sam Dubach if we're helping these kids, I want to help all kinds of other kids. I had people who could think really, really big. I wasn't able to think across Canada. I was concerned about where I was, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, I stayed at the health center and then eventually, uh, because we couldn't really get any, uh, recruit anybody to do that, I said, well, I'll do it then. So I took a leave and I, I, I started Pathways Canada, but then I, I had to resign because once you put your blood, sweat and tears in something like that, it was not easy to get that off the ground. Mm. I had to prove that this program could be replicated and produce the same results. And we had to raise an awful lot of money mm-hmm. because we had the program going in region. Now we're gonna, and I did five. Uh, uh, and I went to the groups that were interested for years in us, a group in, in Quebec, Toujours Ensemble from Verdun. From our second, third year, we got an article in the paper and they started calling us. What's this program we want to learn? We're, um, we were credited by Pinecrest Queensway, Executive Director, the CHC there, the ED. She said, I want this program. Mm-hmm. We need this for our kids. Um, and two health centers right here um, in Toronto, again, Rexdale, up in Jamestown and Lawrence Heights, and um, Kitchener. Kitchener was another place that were watching us. So mm-hmm. after I approached all of them and they wanted to give it a go. Well, then that's where we had a board and we created and I hired staff and uh, we created manuals and we transferred knowledge. And we learned how to transfer the knowledge that we had from Pete Regent Park at, at a, through an entity called Pathways to Education Canada mm-hmm. and then transfer the knowledge to the community. Uh, but it, it you must understand, Gareth, it's a what they call in business a push or pull it's a pull program it's not the kind of program you can push on anybody if you say you need this program it won't work the community has to say to you we want this program because the community has to work as hard as you do Mm -hmm. it's not a situation where i'm going to get a grant and they're going to do it no i'm sorry but the kids have to work really hard and therefore the first year you have to, we give the dollars for them to do explore their high school dropout rate and do focus groups with the community and find out do we have a problem and what do the mothers and fathers and everybody here want to do about it? Mm-hmm. And here's a program and are they interested in trying this? And that's what happened. They all, these, we had a, a, one other, but it didn't work in that other one because the other one was picked by a funder rather than they came to us. A funder went to them and said, you could go here and get some money for a program. So they wanted the money. Mm. They wanted guarantees of getting money. But we weren't about guarantees of getting money. This is an entrepreneurial program. We had no guarantees of anything. We we didn't want the government to fully fund this program because then it wouldn't be bottom up. It would Mm. be top down. Top down doesn't work. So we said a third, a third, a third a third from the feds, a third from the province, and a third from corporations and high net worth individuals and foundations. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: how we did it. That's absolutely amazing. Tell me, so like when the program was replicating across the country and it was through focus groups, you want to try to understand a given community's needs. Were you finding that like these communities had very similar needs to those of Regent Park? And so like the the structures in Regent like made sense in other communities as well? Or were there things that really other communities needed that were more particular to that community that didn't necessarily uh, develop in Regent?
1: Well, I'll tell you, what. solid are the four supports?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All low-income kids, no matter where, in Winnipeg or BC or here, don't have access to academic support. Mm-hmm. No social capital. And the financial and the incentive through the. So the supports are the same. However, they need to be delivered based on the needs of that community. So they're delivered, like um, in in Winnipeg, when I went to that program, I saw, it's mostly an Aboriginal program, and I saw the kids would come in for tutoring at night, and there was food, and they could take um, rice and vegetables and whatever was cooked ahead of time for them. And I was also aware that when I was running the program in Regent Park, my staff kept saying to me, we need food, we need Mm. snacks. I said, I can't hardly raise the money for the program. Now you want me to find money for food. I couldn't do it. Mm. But when I asked the question in that program, oh, I see you're doing this, eh? They said, yes, in in our case, it sometimes is the only meal of the day that they get. OK, so then they had Elder Circle. So they had the, delivering those same supports, but in a different way yeah. to that community. And in British Columbia, they're doing it, whatever. It's got to be based on the needs of the
0: community. Right. And and so but, it's adaptive to those needs.
1: Yeah, those structures and systems thinking in terms of dealing with the space in between the relationships, then... Uh, and, and the reason it works, a uh, Charles Leadbeater studied it and he concluded, you see, everything has become transactional. You go in the hospital and now you get a bunch of transactions in school in university, it's all transact. Where's the relationship?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, relationships are crucial.
0: They're
1: and the center.
0: Think,
1: like you said, you're going to make it re- learn about this young person before you get them talk to them about why they didn't do their homework because they could have a very good reason why they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, so you get to know. It, yeah, it's the relationship that we build, the relationships that make the program work.
0: I think that's a, a beautiful message. I, uh, one of the questions that's coming into my head has to do with like replication and it, you keep talking about how expensive it, it is to do this and the need to raise tons of money. I have a student who, uh, so I I teach at a school that travels around the world and we do project-based learning and kids design their own projects. And, and one, one of my students who's from um, Albania, she designed a project uh, where she created, like helped create like a community center in her like community uh, for Roma children. And she developed a, like a a learning module to uh, promote creativity and like sort of like holistic development and create like a nice space for kids to be. And she did this after doing like a community-based needs assessment, action research. And, and, and then talking with people and trying to actually meet their needs and working together and she's able to do this for nothing basically but what she's definitely not going to get is any of the like the data right and and so she won't really know necessarily if it's going to be as effective but I, I think it's probably predictable that if she does certain things right and follows really good exemplars like pathways that probably she'll have a really good impact on kids and that's a beautiful thing so i wouldn't want like people to like be afraid of going out and trying to do things like this just because of the money, right?
1: Oh no, 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 no. You gotta try and do whatever you can. If all you can do is recruit tutors, uh, for people who wanna give the kids academic support and you just can't do anything about the other things, do it because everything we do helps them succeed. And everybody who believes in them helps them succeed.
0: Absolutely, That's how. Yeah. We,
1: and you know, Um, The other thing I learned is is self-esteem. You know, you hear all this stuff about self-esteem. Well, you know what? Self-esteem comes when you master something you didn't think you could do. The mastery is what does it. And, you know, sometimes they pass a child here who, who should repeat the year. And I just think if I didn't do my reading right in grade one, and they put me in grade two, my anxiety level must be through the sky. I would be better to do repeat grade one and get good at that and feel I mastered it. And, hope, and I watched the kids and their body language showed me in grade nine and 10, the boys are all kind of this way. And they, I say hi, and they go, they grunt. And by grade 11 and 12, they're walking erect, and they're proud, and they, hi, miss, how are you? It's unbelievable. Yeah. I witnessed all of this. And you see, I never had my own children. So they became my children. Yeah.
0: That, that's that's an absolutely beautiful, that's, beautiful thing. Yeah. And it was amazing.
1: the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Believe me. And I did think that first year I was going to fail. But I said to myself, eventually, I, I remember walking in my office going, I'm going to fail. This is going to fail. I'm going to ruin my career. And then I said, wait a minute. I'm going to go down doing the right thing. So it doesn't matter because I'm doing the right thing. And that's the only thing that counts. If I fail trying to do the right thing, no problem.
0: So is this where your courage comes from? Does it come from just a sense of like, I need to help. Yeah. Awesome. You
1: know, I was raised a Catholic and the sisters taught me and we were here to serve (laughs) and, uh, Yeah. I wanted to be a nurse. You know, what does a nurse do? Mm -hmm. And that's who I am. I, you know, I mean, I was administrator. I did a master's. I was running the health center, but in the core, I am still a nurse, a registered nurse. That's how I see myself Uh, more that way than an executive, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's the caring part of me.
0: Nurses are absolute heroes. I'm glad the world is finally waking up to that. Uh, they should be paid double. Um, You're an amazing role model, like clearly, like no question. What would you say and what do you say to young people when they ask like, how should I approach life? Or like, what would you tell me about like what I should do if I'm say 15, that might help me be more effective in meeting my goals, help me be a better person, help me be my best self?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I I would probably go to the values and beliefs and and it takes some time to figure that out. Um, When you're young, you don't always know what you truly believe in or what you would die for. Mm. I might say at some point, you're going to have to come to terms with, is there something you would be willing to die for? What do you really believe in as a human? That forces you to figure out who the hell is in there. Is there anything you'd be willing to die for? Anything in this world? speaking speak up when there's injustice but I have to get to know the individual first to be able to know what they're trying to do to see where I can help them but I am somebody who operates with the theory I I you know you learn that stuff and damn it it works and when I went to take that job at, at, at the health center I said well I got the theory now let's see if this theory works and it did it transformed you know, and you just go with, go with what you, the, this, these, some of these things are just truths, yeah. you know, like when you take a stand, if you say, I believe this, or we're going to, a third, a third, a third, a third will say, I agree with everything he said. A third will say, I don't agree with the damn thing they said. And the rest are in the middle. And I, our job is to move those people over to the side of excellence. And when we're in, we're in management, right?
0: Exactly. If yes, no's and maybes, we make the, bring the maybes to the yes side. Hopefully, yeah.
1: yeah. Right. That, that normal distribution is always there, mm. and you're always going to have those two tails, right?
0: Absolutely. In our school, we we've been putting emphasis on systems thinking and design thinking, in particular. And it, you're just like the perfect kind of embodiment of both of those two things. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would really recommend to young people that they should learn in terms of like theory and understanding like how the world works?
1: Well, I think that it's crucial to learn change theory. Uh, Kurt Lewin, uh, but the design, see, this is how you make change, by bringing the people involved in the situation together, by getting, so you're teaching you're teaching systems thinking and helping people understand that you can't understand the whole by breaking it into little parts and studying the parts because something different happens. It's called synergy. (laughs) So there's a miracle that occurs there. It's a different thing that comes and they need to learn all of those. They need to learn about this working on the space between the relationship what you're teaching them is perfect because that's the way the world works. Mm. And the linear thinking doesn't help change the world. Linear thinking doesn't help. It's this. And you know, when I went into that program in Seattle, Washington, it was called the leadership Institute of Seattle. It was out of a um, city university there. And uh, they told us you got to take off. We're going to unlearn first all the stuff you got in your head and we're going to learn mm-hmm. about something a new way of looking at the world and and that is what you're teaching them and we called it action research and community development we just use different words and and but the bottom line is you have to truly believe yourself that the people know what the problems are and what the solutions are they just need help with the process to identify if you don't believe that and you try and do this, it doesn't work. Mm.
0: It takes real humility and listening and openness, I think.
1: Yeah. And I've Sounds. seen this in large institutions, you know, where they, they the hospitals say, well, we need community input. So we're going to create these community Because somebody told you you need community input, you're going to do this. Or because you believe that the community has good information to give your organization to help you know whether you're doing a good job or not. Mm. So yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Do you really believe in people? I do. I do too. And that's, I think that's the heart of it. You have to. Yeah. And I think, I I really think that we're going to learn our way out of these problems that we're having. I think we're in a really transformational moment right now where a lot of systems are being disrupted, but that disruption can, that, that creates opportunity for transformative change. And I'm hoping that people will jump in and try mm-hmm. to like uh, do that. But it's really about like working with the people that you're trying to serve, rather than being like, I have the agenda, I have the solution.
1: No, you have to be very humble. You have to know, you don't know what that person or what that community's problems yeah. are. But a lot of people think they know it. And hey, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's learners and there's knowers. I can't work with knowers. If you know everything, then don't bother with me because yeah. Uh, the more I learn, the more I realize that I don't I only know a tiny bit.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> the more you learn, the more oh God, how much information is there? How yes. much knowledge is there? Oh, geez, I got this much here. <laughs>
0: and, and that's cool. And then we need to stop pretending that we were like these amazing, like all knowing adults and we're like the authority. And it's really important to be authentic, to be honest, to be truthful. And that means like acknowledging our limitations. There's so much that we can't know as humans, I think. I think we're super limited in our capacity to understand. But we can get better. And
1: there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Let's see if we can figure it
0: out. But like Um, a genuine commitment to truth and to learning and to growth and to justice and to love will transform the planet, I think. And you've already done that, which is awesome. How can people support Pathways at this point?
1: Well... We have programs across the country, and all of our programs need tutors and mentors, and we need donations from mm-hmm. folks. Any amount is helpful, because that's how we hire the support staff, that, that, that like the student parent support worker, and then we need someone to supervise the tutoring. I mean, you do need some paid people to do this. It, can't, it doesn't happen all by itself. Yeah. And therefore, those are the kinds of things that we, and um, anybody who's in a corporation who could give a work experience to, to, to a young person, very good partnerships with Ernst and Young and, and, and places like that, where they get mentored. We get mentors from the banks. The Royal bank was the first bank in on this, and they hired all kinds of our grade 12 students too. Awesome. Yeah. So, and then they find out they get a lot out of it. So it's it's. So then you go to a new city and you've got all these new people that you can engage. So you know, there's and um, that's that's how people can help. If you're in Vancouver, there's a program in Vancouver. If you're in Winnipeg, there is a program in North Winnipeg, right?
0: Absolutely. If there's a lot of people out there who are waking up to the realities of racism in the world. Uh, and want to do something about it. And I think it's a moment of listening in a way that I've never seen in my life on the part of white people. And if people out there really want to fight racism, this works, this actually fights racism. This actually fights class oppression. This helps change people's lives. And if you want to help give some money or or donate time, even better.
1: You know, you asked me what made me like this. Well, my father had a big impact on me Um, and my parents were immigrants uh, my father came from Italy here when he was two years old in about 1911, mm-hmm. and he—he he was um, uh, this was English from England. This was Upper Canada, remember?
0: Okay, wow. Man.
1: <laughs> so, um, in that 19, you know, and so they were uh, very discriminated against. Mm-hmm. They were Waps, they were they goes greasers, you name it. Anyway, he told me that he um. And, and they tried to Anglicize, you know, they tried so hard to, to become English. He, he, my brother told me that he, my father said to my brother one day, don't say pasta, Donald, say macaroni. <laughs> 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 but my father taught me that he was discriminated against when he was at school. And he came home from school and told his mother, my grandmother, who was a smart lady, you know, they're saying this, they're calling me that. And she looked at him and said, You know, Connie, you're no better than, nobody's any better than you. Mm -hmm. And you are no better than anybody else. You see, she didn't stop with nobody's any better than you. She had to add, and you are no better than anybody else. And that's what people have to realize. And, but you know, as a new immigrant, when you get called names, that's what happens to you. And, you know, my mother was the same way. And they were so poor. Uh, uh my mother got grade four education. My father got grade nine because he his father died and he had to quit school but my mother mother had the father took off. I never knew the grandfather my grand um and uh she had seven kids so wow. you know my mother told me when she was in grade five she had to quit she got grade four she went to work in the cotton mill well wow. and they came in ninety degree heat <laughs> and she said they would come out covered in cotton stuck all over them and yeah. And the people called them cotton dollies. So you see, I, I you know, I, uh, I, I, uh, I got the social justice thing here, you know? Yeah. It's I was raised in a certain way to understand. I remember asking my father about capital punishment and, uh, he's, you know, he said, no, you, you can't, because all you need to do is kill one innocent person, just one. And it's wrong. So it, My father was a very good teacher, too.
0: Yeah. I think it's really crucial to have excellent role models. Um, I hope hope to become one one day. Um, But I think like if you're a young person looking out there right now, like a lot of the leaders are just absolutely horrendous role models. Um, But there are a lot of amazing people in communities and like finding a mentor is a really, really powerful experience. And I I really encourage people to do that for sure. You know
1: what? When we do work, it's not about self-aggrandizement. Mm. It's not about self-aggrandizement. It's about serving, right. <laughs> especially in the public service. Absolutely. Okay, those of us that work in government or healthcare or these education—this is this is the, the the goods that the capitalistic society doesn't provide mm. that we need to.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm. we we need to temper capitalism with like communities of caring. Um, And I I think like our massive, like industrialized societies were largely atomized. uh, A lot of people experience a lot of time just by themselves and we really need human connection. It's it's a basic human need.
1: Absolutely. And you know, if you're doing work and you, you, now that we've met, I really enjoyed talking to you too. If you think I can talk to somebody that you're working with, some young person, or you think it would be helpful, I'm very happy to do that.
0: I a thousand percent want you to speak to our students at some time. You're a fantastic role model, but also like what you do is what we're trying to teach, but you've done it in concrete ways. So like you'd be pretty much the best possible speaker I could think of off the top of my head. So I expect an invitation at some point. I really appreciate it. Okay. Carolyn, thank you so much for taking the time. You're a beautiful human being, and I'm so grateful to you. Oh, thank you.
1: Namaste. You sound like a beautiful human being, too. I'm okay.
0: <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, I'm going to hear from you then. Yeah. Okay.
0: Talk to you later. Have a great day there, All right. and thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Carolyn. Bye. All right, so that was World Teacher Podcast episode number three. Hope you enjoyed listening. Again, it was such an honor to get to speak with Carolyn Acker. It's just like you want to beam a Carolyn-shaped Batman signal into the sky for every little girl on Earth to see. She's such an amazing role model for us all. Please seriously consider supporting Pathways to Education at pathwaystoeducation.ca. One of the things Pathways was intelligent, agile, and caring enough to do in response to the pandemic was to come up with a good strategy for getting Pathways students' mobile devices and internet connectivity. They are very smart people, but they still need our help. So, if you care about children especially racially and socially, economically marginalized children, many of whom are recent immigrants and refugees. If you care about indigenous, black, brown, Asian, and other children of color, if you care about building the kind of communities where everyone can flourish, then please support Pathways to Education at pathwaystoeducation.ca. It is a proven way to help. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I super appreciate it. I'm also really curious to hear if anyone listened to all three episodes of our launch. Please let me know. we got lots more episodes coming, by the way. I might drop two or three next, next week. I'm not sure what makes most sense strategically, but who knows. Um, we've been recording for months, and we have many more recordings scheduled because the thing is, I have to go back to work soon, uh, and I believe in planning ahead. Upcoming shows will include topics like racism and anti-racism, white privilege, how Taiwan led the world with their response to COVID, whether protests and other forms of liberatory politics are effective. We'll be talking about the US election and how Bernie lost to Biden and what that means. We've also got a great episode coming up on the power of mentoring. We have multiple episodes on restorative justice, and I'm especially looking forward to learning more about indigenous knowledges and how to support indigenous youth. I honestly know almost nothing about that, and I really should. And yo, by the way, we're just getting started. These topics don't even begin to approach a surface to scratch, much less scratch the surface of the massive range of topics I want to address, and in much greater analytical depth. But yes, we've got lots of super brilliant guests coming up representing diverse ideas and identities. And as always, I'm super open to recommendations for guests and topics. If you've got them, I'm... uh I'm honestly not sure if it will get easier or harder to book guests now that we've launched. You see, it's not necessarily easy to convince people to come on to some, like, overly excitable strangers non-existent podcast. It's seriously amazing that anyone has agreed to talk to me at all. So to everyone who has so far, thank you. Like, thank you so very much. And also to anyone who's connected me with potential guests, as a lot of people have, really thank you so very much as well. Listeners, please click subscribe and share like crazy. I am super curious to see where this goes. Peace and love to us all.
1: Thanks for listening.